Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History avec a Hemingway, and today we are talking about Juliet Drouillet, which I cannot say that name, <laughs> and Claudine's been trying to help me say it, but it's fine. All you need to know is Juliet, and she was a big part of Victor Hugo's life, and I'll let Claudine tell you more about that. Yes, she was, and actually, I was uh, for we do a book of the month club, and I picked uh, this wonderful book by David Downey, um, and it's basically about the Romantic period in Paris. And I um, knew about her, and I've read this book. I've read this book years ago, but I was rereading it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, we have to do one about Juliet because her story is really interesting." I want you to say her name three times fast. <laughs> Juliet Drouet. <laughs> I was only one. one time. <laughs> Try it at home, people. Try it at home. Yes, it's a it's a hard one. Um, but she was born April tenth, eighteen o six. She was born um, in the Brittany region, and she was the youngest child of uh, four kids. And both of the, her parents would die before she turned two years old. Oh, that's sad. So sad. Um, so she was sent to live with her uncle. Rene um, Henri Drouet in Paris, and uh, but he wasn't really a great caregiver. He kind of even just as a as a child, he didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to her. So he decided to send her off to um, a convent school where um, two of her aunts were already also there as nuns, so they could be there, you know, keep an eye on her. Perfect family tradition. Family tradition, but she was a little bit too headstrong, and even as a young child, she was uh, getting into trouble all the time um, and causing problems. When you know she was back with uh, Renee, her uncle, he basically didn't, um, you know, he didn't pay a lot of attention to her, so she kind of did anything she wanted. So those things didn't, you know. She looks at back as her at her childhood rather fondly because of that. <laughs> she did whatever she wanted. <laughs> yeah, but it does it wasn't exactly a good thing for her, you know, to go to the convent. They didn't really like that. Um, so she was there for a while. Then she ended up, uh, you know, go, having this free reign with her uncle as well. Um, but at eight, 16 years old, she was actually presented to the Archbishop of Paris, and so she was able to convince him that she wouldn't be a very good candidate for this um, postulant. Um, posts that they wanted her to take. So he actually, you know, agreed with her. And so <laughs> she got out of it. So she didn't have to spend her life, um, you know, dedicated to the church. That's so funny. He was like, yeah, you're not great. You should probably leave. Yeah, 
this probably isn't going to go over so well. So she returned to her uncle, you know, at this time she's 16 years old. Um, and she was even more of a handful, but she started uh, meeting a bunch of the different authors and artists and actors of Paris. So she would hang out with them all the time, you know, out, you know, probably, you know, boozing it up and, you know, being crazy. And so <laughs> that time she met the sculptor, um, James pra um, Pradier in 1825. She was just 19 years old. She's and, time. Yeah. So, and she was very beautiful. Like she, she was very beautiful. She had this like really great fashion sense that she would always like, you know, always look really good. Um, and so basically she was trying to, you know, find ways to pay for, you know, buying more clothes and, uh, you know, all of these finer things in life. So, but he actually was, he was so drawn to her that he wanted to capture her in, um, his art. So the two, uh, you know, he ended up, uh, sculpting her and, um, the two began an affair pretty quickly. No surprises there. No surprises, you know, for many of these, many of these artist stories. Um, but he was actually commissioned to do one of the statues. It's in Place de la Concorde. And I'll put a picture on my website, but the Strasbourg statue was, he used her as the model. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So her face, the face of the sculpture is uh, Juliet. Um, the two ended up having a child. Her name was Claire that he refused to acknowledge or take any responsibility for at the time. She wanted to marry him and he said he was not going to do it. Boo. Yeah. He wanted to have like, he wanted to like move his way up in society and she was not going to, she was not going to be the one that was going to get him there. So he, you know, basically just pretended, you know, just acted like, you know, he was not the father of this child. Um, but she would actually later end up spending the Claire, the daughter would actually spend a, more time with her father than she would with her mother because um, she took on a, a different sort of uh, trade. We could call it. <laughs> so Juliet, um, you know, she really liked, you know, having all of these finer things. And so she decided um, she began to work as a courtesan Fancy to help, help fund some of her, you know, shopping. Um, you know, she always had one of the newest, uh, newest fashion and she was always noticed, you know, because of this. So um, in 1828, she began to act on stage and she um, would perform at the Théâtre du Parc de Bruxelles in Paris. Her roles were very small. She would usually only have one or two lines, but she stood out on stage because she was so beautiful. And so she was they, she was popular for people. To, people wanted to come and see her and just to be basically be able to see her, even though she wasn't really doing much acting. Mm -hmm. They just Which wanted to look pretty. pretty. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. So in 1933, she had a role in um, uh, Victor Hugo play. Um, that was uh, Lucutas uh, Bourget. He um, was taken by her, of course, as soon as he saw her as well. But he wouldn't pursue her or do anything um, until six months later. He took his time. Yeah. His wife, Adele, um, had even sent her a letter saying that her husband would like to meet her. Wait, the wife arranged this? Yeah, the wife sent her a letter. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So for six months um, after that, after they met, they kept it very friendly, uh, but he couldn't resist the beautiful Juliet and her fire. She had a very fiery temperament 
And uh, so she was always kind of, um, she was people even more drawn to her because of that. Um, so she was uh, known at the time as like a temptress and a dominatrix, but just because of her personality. I mean, that sounds like a double hitter, you know, in the yeah. man world. She was smart. She was manipulative. She was gorgeous. Dangerous woman. Dangerous woman. Yeah. But she was more uh, with him. She was very submissive as she babied him and like, you know, just, you know, treated him as the idol that he was at that time. Like, you know, he was pretty big at that point. Um, she called him uh, the nickname she had for him was Toto, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, but he um, he basically um, wanted to keep her, her all to himself. He didn't want her working as a courtesan anymore. Um, she still had, you know, the more things she bought, the more she was working as a courtesan and on the stage, the more in debt she was constantly going into. So Hugo ended up actually paying off all of her debt. Um, but it came with a very, um, high price. He, uh -oh. Yeah. He set her up an apartment that was just, uh, uh 12 Rue Saint Anatas, um, very, very near where he lived at Place, um, Place de Vosges. Um, she lived on the fourth floor. It was a very small place, um, but she was never he. She wasn't allowed to leave unless he was with her. Wait, what? She became yeah. a prisoner? Yeah, and so she basically um, she had to stop all of her other things. She had to be faithful to him. Um, if uh, you know, they they wonder. Um, historians wonder if maybe she did kind of stray and take in a few people, you know, when she wasn't with Hugo. Um, but she was very good at it because they don't, they haven't found any evidence that she's, she ever did stray away from him. Wow. I wonder if anybody keeping watch. Yeah. I don't know. They were actually like secretly kind of quote unquote married in 1839. It was basically just like a vow exchange. And it was her basically saying that um, she would never leave him. Well, where's his wife during all this? Oh, she was back. She was having her own little thing, which we'll get to. Uh, <laughs> but he hired her as a private secretary so they could spend even more time together. And he would have her copying, like basically copying every single thing he wrote, like all of his manuscripts. So he always had a, his own copy of it. That sounds so, exhausting. You know, now we have copy machines, thankfully. <laughs> he had a mistress. <laughs> he had a mistress. Uh, <laughs> So she would spend all of her time doing that. She rarely would come over to the family's home in Place des Vosges. And uh, she she basically, if she did, she'd have to enter through the back, the back staircase, like the, like the servant entrance. Um, his wife, Adele, was very aware of their relationship. Um, and at, at the time, she had her own going that Hugo was very aware of. She was having an affair with his former very close friend. Saint, <laughs> his name was, um, it was Christophe Saint-Beuve. And the what? two of them, she was also a writer. Um, and the two of them basically decided that they would have an open relationship. Well, I mean, they were, that's very French. <laughs> yeah, very French. I mean, that was, you know, the 19th century. I think that, that's still going on very much today. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but she actually, um, she actually liked Juliet, and she actually put in her will that if something for her children to look after her in case Victor Hugo died before her. That's really nice of her. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so he expected her to stay faithful to him, but his rules were, of course, a little bit different. Mm. Yeah. So he began an affair with this woman named Leone uh, Doné, and she um, had to- at one point gave him an ultimatum saying t- he needed to break it up off with Juliet. He um, said he wouldn't, and he- so he broke it off with her. And so Leone decided to package all of the letters that uh, Victor Hugo wrote to her and send them in one package to Juliet to see. <gasps> oh, so catty. So catty. Um, and so, you know, Juliet looks at these letters and he's using a lot of the same, you know, paragraphs and phrases and stuff that he does in the letters to Juliet. Whoops. And so, but instead of pushing her away, it actually just drew her, drew her to him even more. Oh, she liked it. Yeah, she liked it. And so, but at the same time, um, you know, this was, uh, we're getting close to um, when Victor Hugo gets exiled. So it actually works out in her favor. Um, But at the time, he would ask, actually made Juliet write to him a letter every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. I mean, it's like texting, you know, he was a control freak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was just basically, you know, we do the same thing now, I guess. But she wrote over 22,000 letters. Wow. Yeah. And so there you could, there's a lot of them have been published and they're, it's really interesting to read. Um, one of them I was reading where she got mad at him because he said her um, handwriting looked uh, stupid and childish. <laughs> and she kind of got, she kind of let him have it. <laughs> oh, God. This is such a fascinating relationship. Yeah. It's really interesting. It went for 50 years. 50 years. 50 years it lasted 50 years that's um, some love affair yeah but so shortly after the end of this affair that he had with leone he was um forced to exile from france he was really against napoleon the third and he was very outspoken about it and so he knew he needed to get out before he was forced to get out mm-hmm. so julia took all took care of everything she ended up getting him um fake papers finding him a place to stay, setting up all of his travel and everything. And he went off to, uh, first he went to Brussels. Um, She followed him and he ended up getting her um, everywhere he had gone. Um, He'd end up having to go three separate places before he could return to France. But there was always a small house near him that she would stay at. So she was always there. They were able at that point because Adele and his children only very frequently ever came to visit him. So they were able to kind of have a little bit of a normal relationship in Mm -hmm. some ways because, you know, they were so far from France and Adele. Yeah, they kind of had like their married life. They had their little married life. He was exiled from 1852 to 1870. um, And, you know, he went from Brussels to the island of Jersey to um, Guernsey. and she ended up uh, right after they came back. Um, she Adele, or before, right before they came back, Adele passed away in 1868. Oh no! Yeah. So a few years later, Juliet it was able to move in with Victor um, to his home that is on what we call today one, um, Victor Avenue, Victor Hugo. I don't think they named it after him when he was alive, <laughs> um, but it was in his home. If you look at it today. Um, I'll post a picture of it, but there's actually, you know, um, a lot of times in the Parisian buildings and you walk in and there'll be like, you know, an angel over the door or something. It's actually his face over the door. Of the building. I it's kind of creepy. I've yeah. been there. Yeah. So it was 124 um, Avenue, Victor Hugo. Um, 
And so they were living there. Her daughter, Claire, died when she was just 20 years old. Um, so she and she was so upset she couldn't even attend it. But Hugo and Pradier actually led the funeral procession. Whoa, that's interesting. Yeah, kind of. It's kind of a sweet little thing to do. Um, but Hugo and Juliet, they had this relationship lasted for 50 years. And um, on May 11th, 1883, she died at their home, um, the same home that Adele died in. <laughs> <laughs> And then they think that she died of stomach cancer and she was 77 years old. She lived a long time too. She did live a long time. Um, Hugo was really destroyed by it. He thought that, you know, he had um, his heart was given to, to, to two things, his writing and, and Juliet. So she was his true love. Yeah. He, um, he wanted to attend the funeral, but um, he was advised that it wasn't a good idea for him to do that. She was buried in the North Cemetery of Saint Monde, with next to her daughter, and so, That's so sad. Yeah, and Hugo died two years later. He died of heartbreak, of course. Yeah, and he was uh, when he died. Um, I've written about it on my website. I have it on there. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, that his funeral, it was like it was like the one of the biggest things that France, Paris, had ever seen. Like. He was, it was a huge procession and they, you know, took him all the way through town. And I mean, he was, he was, um, and he was buried up at the Pantheon. That's so cool. I want to see like the paintings of that. <sighs> yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty huge deal, but she's basically has like this cult like following now. Like there's people that are just like obsessed with her story and her life. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of interesting of all like, you know, how different people stand out, you know, when people are taken by, she mm-hmm. just like has this cult like following in Paris in France. I didn't know anything about her. Did he work her into her, his books and stuff? No, he actually, he did work, um, in, uh, Notre Dame du Paris or the hunchback of Notre Dame. He ended up, um, the Esmeralda is basically was basically he created from his wife. Mm. And Quasimodo is uh, Saint Bove, who was the his friend, former friend that was having the affair with his wife. <laughs> well, that's a great comeback. <laughs> yeah, I that's, that's a good way uh, to to do it. On the walk that uh, we took a few weekends ago in Odeon, um, that we actually walked by one of the places that he Saint Bove used to live. Ah, so kind of, it all it all comes together. It all comes together at the end. Juliet. Yeah. But yeah, 50 years. I mean, to be, you know, a mistress for 50 years, he did have quite a few different women um, at different points. He was uh, quite the ladies man. um, And he basically really got around. But she was his favorite. He was his favorite. And uh, um, I was reading in the David Downey's book that he had gone to um, the museum, Victor Hugo and Place de Vosges. And uh, he had asked, like, why weren't there any paintings of her? And they said there was only one painting of her and it's never on view. Why? I don't know. They should put it on view. Yeah. That's so interesting. I yeah. mean, she was true love. Yeah. And they have like some of his um, quills that, you know, he used to write and they um, he was able to go see a bunch of this different stuff that they don't ever have on display, which was really interesting. Cool. Yeah, I found the museum very dark. I went there on one of the heritage days, you know, when everything's free. Oh, yeah. and 
And I didn't want to stand in line to go in the Hotel de Ville and all that. And actually, there was no line for Victor Hugo. So I was like, I'll just go in there. And it was interesting. I mean, it's really pretty, but it's kind of dark. It is. Yeah. It's kind of dark and everything. I mean, I love the fact that the walls are painted red. (laughs) Yeah. But it's all quite dark, like his uh, bedroom. Um, In the back, it was like, I mean, it was kind of hard to take pictures of because it was so dark. Yeah. I'm like, how did you live like that? <laughs> yeah. And then they have his bed and they have like the, ta- like the bed that he died in and, you know, his desk that he would write, um, you know, Les Mis and all of those things on there. It's been closed for a couple of years now, longer than it was supposed to, of course, with COVID, but it should be reopening this spring. Um, and they were in the back at the courtyard, they were putting in like a little cafe and doing some renovations. Um, so, you know, we could, uh, maybe when we, we go there, we'll have to look and for the, the door that Juliet used to use to go. Yeah. We have to ask her to see her painting. Yeah. Show us yeah. the painting. Yeah. I feel like all these courtesans were just old school, like sugar babies. Yeah. <laughs> they were the original, like, I need a sugar daddy. I want some nice stuff. And there were so many of them. I mean, the, once you start like peeling back and looking, there's like, I mean, there's, I don't know, just. It, 20, 30 of them that I keep coming across. Yeah. Courtesans at different times. And it's um, really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, the courtesan was different from a prostitute because they were fancier. Yeah. It was basically like, you know, there was the, oh, goodness, there was um, the laureates, you know, because they were around Notre Dame de Laureate Church. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of, uh, there was the, I think, what was it called? The Grisette, I think was the other one. And that was all basically different rankings. So the Grisette was like lower than a Laureate. And the Grisette were basically just the girls that were, um, they got that name because of their gray uniforms. Cause they were like seamstresses and mm. working like the laundry biz. And they were called Grisettes cause of that. And then basically they were just ones that like, they kind of like to, you know, get paid for having sex because it gave them a little extra money. They weren't really, you know, they still had their day job, but this was like, Oh, if they wanted a little extra money, this is what they did. And then it kind of went up from there. So then like, you know, a prostitute and then like the highest ranking was basically a courtesan. Cause I think uh-huh. it, it was basically, you were like the prostitute with class. Yeah. You were the prostitute that didn't need a second job. Yeah. I mean, I so mean- I don't know like where we put Julia Roberts in that <laughs> for a pretty woman. <laughs> I guess she was a courtesan because that was her only job. Yeah, maybe so. As you know, <laughs> she didn't start out with the best clothes, but she ended up, you know, getting pretty fancy there at the end. I would say she, yeah, she had a good sugar daddy. Yeah. Or Which my other here? favorite, Dolly Parton and the, one of the greatest movies, the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> I've never seen that, but I love Dolly Parton. Oh my God, you have to see it. I remember my mother taking us actually to the theater to see it, and we were children. Like, <laughs> is this what we should be seeing? But it's not like, I mean, it's actually, it's her and Burt Reynolds, and it's actually really cute. It's actually really cute. And I mean, it's nothing like <laughs> racy or anything, but um, it's pretty funny. I love Dolly Parton. She, we went to Dollywood. My parents took us there for vacation. Oh my goodness! Is <laughs> her own theme park in like Tennessee or something? I don't know. It was fun. Good, She's good awesome. times. Good times. Well, that, that was in that movie. At the end is when she sings "I Will Always Love You." That later Whitney Houston covered, but I still love the Dolly version the best. Wait, Dolly's the original? Yeah, she wrote that song. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, she was pretty happy when, you know, Whitney Houston sang it and it went to, it sold so well. <laughs> wow. Dolly's always been a businesswoman. She has. Yeah. We love Dolly. Yeah. Dolly for president. Yeah, check out Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> I love how we went from Julia and Victor Hugo to Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I know. Well, sometimes we uh, veer we veer off course. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're learning a lot from this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but she died May 11th, and so she just died. Uh, she just died. You know, the anniversary of her death is tomorrow. But not Dolly. Not Dolly. Juliet. <laughs> Juliet. Julia. Juliet. Juliet. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast and for giving us feedback. We love to hear from you. And we also love when you join our virtual tour every Sunday, we tour a different part of Paris and Claudine gives you live history over Zoom as we walk with you. So join us every week for that. Tell your friends, send us a message on Instagram and tune in next week. Thank you for listening to Paris History of Beck A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you can always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.